Chapter Fifteen of the Story of a Modern Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathleen. The Story of a Modern Woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. A Comedy in Real Life the first act was over the curtain was down again a buzzing sound was heard all over the theatre men were standing up in the stalls raking the house with their opera glasses the critics were seen exchanging significant looks and portentous monosyllables while here and there was visible the profile of a pretty woman craning her neck to be seen speaking to some distant celebrity the house viewed from above was one compact mass of human beings the clear pale dresses of the women making gay patches among the rows of black coats white shirt fronts and slightly bald heads of the men it was the first night of a new comedy at a modish theatre in the private boxes the little canvas doors opened continually revealing a glimpse of the begilded corridor darkened by the figure of a man in evening dress in some of the boxes notably that of lady jane ives the door opened almost with the regularity of a machine while a small procession of young gentlemen sidled in and out all mother's boys will be here before the evening's over whispered allison to mary i don't know whether our brains will hold out but allison for once made no effort to entertain them for hardly had the curtain fallen when dr dunlop strange who was in the stalls had taken the chair behind her and had begun telling her of a new medical discovery in which she was interested for the moment mr bosonkay barry and mr beaufort flower were the other occupants of the back chairs dr strange you've got to personally conduct us over the whitechapel hospital said allison turning her beautiful intelligent eyes upon him miss earle wants to write something about a hospital and you can explain the medical details to her when will you come said the doctor eagerly oh arrange it with mary said allison laughing these young women who write are always so busy at present i'm one of the unemployed dear lady jane objected mr flower patting the tuberoses of his coat you're not going to allow them to go over one of those nasty hospitals why you don't know what they will catch and i'm told the language of the patients is quite ornamental allow them ejaculated lady jane my dear bofey if you had a grown-up daughter you'd find that you were allowed to do things or not as she chose that's why i'm so young said the old woman with a fat laugh it's because i go with the times and as for that child mary i can't refuse her anything you see allison and i both wanted to marry her poor dear father he was the most delightful creature that ever lived mary in her little white frock was looking radiant the morning papers had announced the results of the by-election and vincent hemming's name headed the poll with a majority of forty-seven votes in a day or two perhaps even now he would be in town he would have time for her they would have leisure perhaps to see a great deal of each other once more she had become accustomed by now to a certain vagueness about the future but just to know that he was happy and successful was enough for the moment why are you looking so pretty to-night whispered bofey to mary to whom he had taken a perverse fancy because she generally snubbed him i never look pretty said mary calmly no that's true i've seen you he added with engaging candour look positively ugly and other times you know you become radiantly lovely 
meanwhile lady jane showing a good deal of plump shoulder and bland bosom in a gown of excruciating red was gently tapping mr bosanquet barry with a carved ivory fan as he leaned over her chair tell me who's here you shocking creature you know i can't see and what are you young men there for except to tell us the news oh yes everybody's here lots of people have come up to town on purpose no end of smart people in the stalls and who do you think is down there in the omnibus box lady blaythewaite of all people clan, eh? three days before she has to appear in the divorce court they say he added dropping his voice so that only lady jane could hear they say it will be a cause celebre she brings the case of course but she won't get it they're betting on it at the clubs i see she's got that old woman what's her name who's so very proper in the box said lady jane as she surveyed the coming heroine of the divorce court exhaustively with her tortoise-shell lorgnette how clever she continued in an approving tone white muslin and not a jewel i was so fond of her poor mother she was one of the first women who smoked i mean before people she was a sort of mrs norton lord houghton used to say she was one of the few women in society that he could ask to his literary breakfasts her daughter hasn't inherited her wits no or she wouldn't have committed the fatal error of being found out murmured mr bosanquet barry and then he added showing all his dazzling teeth in a fatuous smile lady blaze a charming woman when she lets you know her i assure you she's quite irresistible i see all you young men are quite appris replied lady jane in her well-bred indifferent tone you see much of her one's supposed to be able to find her at five but very often she's out yes put in mr flower in his waspish voice she says it's so effective to be out occasionally isn't it malicious of her my dear bofi lady blaythewaite is quite good-looking enough to do these things who are those curious-looking persons in the next box aren't they quite too delicious for words cried that young gentleman with some animation they're my discovery there's a man a political man in the stalls who knows it's the mayor of northborough the mayoress of northborough and the heiress apparent they're as rich well as rich as americans their name is higgins aren't they nice i never saw a provincial mayor before i wonder if he is red all over like his face i'm sure he wears his chains of office under his clothes look at the mayoress's gown dear lady jane do you see it has a small v at the throat and elbow sleeves and you may swear it's high at the back and the daughter cool es fagate mon dieu and with diamonds put in all the wrong places it is a relief to look at lady blay who's got hardly anything on at all and so these were the higginses vincent's friends whom he had picked up in america and who had got him returned to parliament mary gave one swift comprehensive glance at the daughter taking in her underbred face with its beady eyes and fretful mouth her over-trimmed clothes and her uneasy attitude and remembering hemming's fastidious tastes she decided with a little throb of feminine exultation that she had nothing to dread from miss violet higgins does anybody know what the play is about asked the girl in a relieved voice in which there was even a note of happiness it seems to me to be rubbish oh i simply love these old-fashioned pieces where all the poor young men turn out to be baronets and all the women marry their first loves they're so adorably untrue to life 
don't you know opined bofi one wants that sort of thing in a pessimistic age of course realism and that sort of thing amuses me but i don't really care for it but that's very ungrateful of you said alison turning suddenly round dr dunlop strange had caught sight of lady blaythewaite in the box opposite and his eyes seemed riveted on her exquisite face somehow the fact annoyed her alison did not like lady blaythewaite the curtain drew up on the second act revealing a rose clambered cottage and a sundial the play proceeded after the manner of love stories which are enacted to limelight two sets of lovers one arch one sentimental wandered through a wicket gate in rotation though during the scene between the arch lovers in which a watering pot and some artificial geraniums played a prominent part it was noticeable that some of the habitual theatre-goers began a mumbled conversation it was unmistakable however that the interest of the dress circle was aroused when a rising moon illuminated the embrace of the sentimental lovers during which the ominous figure of an adventuress was seen hovering behind a hedge the critics however began to yawn and several cheery conversations were started in private boxes notably in that of lady blaythewaite whose white shoulders were detached with startling distinctness against a phalanx of black coats the door of the higgins box down below opened and there was visible the figure of a youngish man against the pale gold of the corridor mary could not see his face which was black against the light but in another instant the newcomer after shaking hands all round had slipped into the chair behind the younger lady and his face was now illuminated by the glare of the footlights miss higgins began to fan herself violently with a jerky movement and fidgeted about in her chair mary's eyes were riveted on the face of the new arrival just where she sat he could not see her it was vincent hemming then she turned her eyes away as if ashamed and kept them fixed upon the stage the sentimental lovers were now swearing eternal fidelity were they the real puppets mary wondered or she and vincent and miss higgins and the blaythewaites each pulled this way and that by their passions their ambitions their desires vincent was in town and she had heard nothing from him true she had not had many letters of late but then he had been of course immersed in his election business she had not expected to hear and yet why should he spend his first night in town with these people vincent too must have got the box it was evidently his party for the mayor of a provincial town however many times a millionaire is not on the list for first nights at fashionable theatres in london on the stage mary was conscious that the adventuress was advancing to the footlights murmuring the words my husband and that the curtain was falling on the second act she sat with her eyes fixed on her lap every nerve in her body was drawn at full tension it was a relief when the canvas door opened and one of two men came in she leaned back in her chair saying anything so as not to have to think bofi had slipped again into the chair behind her what do you think i heard about the higgins heiress he began i take such an interest in them because you see i was the first to discover them you see that man down there sitting in her pocket well that's hemming the man who's just got in for northborough they say he's going to marry her is he said mary and she was astonished to find how natural her voice sounded after all she told herself she knew how it would be on the day of his return from america yes isn't it delicious 
why one might as well be married to the housemaid but they say he hasn't got a farthing you know and she'll have twelve thousand a year just to start housekeeping but the best of it is i hear the poor devil wants to get out of it only his worship won't let him off stands over him in his chains of office and waves the municipal mace says he's only got him into the house as a prospective son-in-law they say she's got a strong lancashire accent he concluded in his most malicious and triumphant tone indeed said mary raising her eyelids and letting them drop again with a tired gesture fortunately no one in the box had heard but herself both lady jane and allison were talking to new arrivals she made an effort an effort which completely prostrated her next day to look smiling calm imperturbable why the very fabric of society was based on that acquiescent feminine smile she like other women before her must learn her fate with the eyes of the world fixed curiously upon her if she could only creep away somewhere hide her face not see the hideous comedy going on in the box down there not have to look at the yellow footlights watch the foolish inane unreal comedy on the stage but she could not leave the theatre without making a scene having explanations the curtain rose on the last act vincent is going to marry miss higgins she said to herself deliberately as the arch pair of lovers entered quarrelling in a pretty drawing-room set she tried to realize this new calamity to understand what it meant to her as the comic young gentleman on the stage essayed to appease the arch young lady's wrath by tying an errand shoelace vincent and miss higgins vincent and miss higgins living together always together husband and wife in all the long long years to come for better for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and in health till death did them part it was with the blurred vision which accompanies poignant mental anguish that mary saw that the happiness of the sentimental lovers on the stage was not to be frustrated for the adventurous it would seem was a bigamist and was already married married why merciful god vincent and that girl in the box down below they too were going to be married dear you look dreadfully white said allison catching sight of mary's face with a fixed mechanical smile mary was thanking mr beaufort flower who was playfully throwing a bow round her shoulders i'm afraid you're tired the play bored one horribly didn't it and the theatre's so hot i'm all right said mary heroically it's nothing people spoke to her as she went downstairs and along the corridor and she answered them with pale mauvish lips such a charming pretty piece wasn't it quite an idol and so wholesome after this disgusting talk about heredity and so on it was quite a relief they said to get a thoroughly english piece with a happy ending and in the pushing crowd at the door her lover almost brushed her elbow as he passed her unwittingly with the lancashire heiress the girl mary could see wore the triumphant expression of the underbred young woman who has secured a desirable husband mary hardly dared look at vincent though every fibre in her body yearned towards him but as he passed out with miss higgins leaning heavily on his arm she had a brief vision of a harassed sheepish and uneasy face why he is unhappy she thought with a pang End of chapter fifteen